Well, it's good to be with you tonight. We are continuing in our life series where we are looking at some of the habits and spiritual disciplines and practices that help us as Christians to grow in our faith. And maybe you're here tonight and you're not a Christian. Um, or maybe you're kind of at this place in your life where you're, you're one foot in the door, one foot out the door. You're just not sure. There's some parts of Christianity that you find compelling. Maybe Jesus, you find the, the person and work of Jesus compelling, but maybe because of some experiences you've had in life, you think, you know, I'm just not sure that God could ever really love and accept me. Or maybe you've had some experiences in the past with some people who said they were Christians, but they didn't act like Jesus, or at least not the Jesus that you see in Scripture. And so there's kind of a, a hesitancy in you, and you kind of want to hang back. And if that's where you're at, then we're so glad that you're here. And tonight is really an opportunity for you to kind of pull back the curtain and look behind the scenes and to see what it is that Jesus invites us to. Because when Jesus was here, he invited us to experience this incredible, amazing life. That when we come to a place in our lives where, where we say, okay, I'm going to put my faith and trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as the payment for my sins. I'm going to put my faith and trust in that as my only hope of being right with God. That when that happens, we begin to truly find life. Not just any kind of life, but the best possible life. Not the wealthiest life, not the healthiest life. Not the happiest life, not the most pain-free or trouble-free life. We are not promised any of that in Scripture. But what we are promised is the best life. A life where we can know with certainty that we have a right relationship with God and that we are loved by our Heavenly Father far more than we could ever comprehend. And when we come to a place where we begin to trust Jesus and let Him guide and direct us, that's when we begin to experience this life. And that's what we're talking about in this series. We began this series a couple of weeks ago talking about uh, this idea that uh, spiritual transformation is not simply about trying harder. It's about training better. And typically what we do as we approach uh, the spiritual life is we think that, well, if I just tried harder, then I would get to where I want to be in my relationship with God. But as we talked about that first week, that it's actually practicing the life of my Savior with my Savior and empowered by my Savior, that it's in those moments that we actually begin to experience transformation. And then we talked about prayer and the invitation to go before God as our Heavenly Father and to engage in this incredibly intimate act where we can pray and know that God hears us regardless of the circumstances surrounding our prayer. And then we're going to bookend the series with prayer again because it's just so important as it relates to our spiritual journey and as we grow in our faith in Christ. And then last week, Jack talked about living the unhurried life, slowing down. And what a challenge that is in our culture. To slow down and stop and just breathe and just be and not always feel like we have to keep going and doing something all the time. Because when we live a hurried life, we miss out on some of those moments in our lives where God wants to teach us something. Moments that we only experience if we stop and slow down. Now, the, tonight we're going to dive in and we're going to look at another uh, one of these habits. This is one that is indispensable for us if we want to grow in our faith. And that is the practice of reflecting 
on Scripture. And here's what we mean when we say reflecting on Scripture. Reflecting on Scripture is not simply reading our Bibles. That's not what we mean by reflecting on Scripture. Although we have to read our Bibles before we can reflect on Scripture. Reflecting on Scripture is this idea of focusing in on a small passage, maybe just one or two verses, and really stopping and looking at that and thinking about it and allowing it to fill our minds and to kind of go deep down into our hearts in such a way that we actually begin to think differently about something. We begin to think God's thoughts. And as a result of this new way of thinking, that our actions begin to change. We actually begin to experience life change. And isn't it true that we all, uh, as Christians, have areas of our lives that we would like to see changed? Maybe there's a a friendship or a relationship or some aspect of your marriage that you want to see change. Maybe uh, there's something about your your parenting um, that you want to see change. Maybe you struggle with anger or you're struggling with worry or doubt or lust. Whatever the case is, there's some sin in our lives, some habitual sin that's kind of that pulls at us and drags us in. And we want more than anything to be free of it. And in some cases, we know what needs to be done, or at least the the beginning steps to beginning uh, and seeing change in our lives. But we're not willing to do it. We're not willing to confess. We're not willing uh, to repent. We're not willing to get help or to admit that we have a problem and that we need others to come alongside of us. We're afraid of what people might think. We're afraid of, of getting rid of the veneer and the facade that we've been putting up for people. We want everyone to think that we have it together because everybody else appears to have it together. And so why would we be vulnerable? Why would we uh, break down and be honest? And so we're not willing to change. Other times, though, people, uh, including myself, sometimes we want to change, but we just we don't know how. We are literally at a place in our life where we know something has to happen and we're at a loss for what to do. Regardless of where you may fall in that spectrum, reflecting on Scripture is one of the ways that we can actually begin to see change in our lives and begin to experience life change. And as amazing as that sounds, here's the reality. And I know this from my life. And from my own experience and from my own spiritual walk, I know this from talking to other believers. And that is that even though this incredible invitation is available, even though we've been given the opportunity to go to Scripture, to the very words of God, and to read them, and to allow our minds to be renewed and changed by them, and to allow them to drive those uh, actions, our actions to be transformed because of what has happened in our minds, Even though many of us have that available to us, we don't do it Uh, for a variety of reasons. There was a study done recently by the Barna Group. It's an organization that studies kind of the Christian faith in America. And according to this study, they found that 88% of Americans, okay, not Christians, 88% of Americans claim that they have a Bible in their home. It's, it's pretty good, 88% of Americans. And you know what? If you have a smartphone, you can have a Bible too. The, you know, we have the YouVersion Bible app that we use here. It's a free download that's available. You can get lots of different translations. We put sermon notes in there. Um, so 88% of Americans have a Bible in their home. But only 33% of them read it at least once a week. Now, if you know anything about statistics, uh, people that study statistics they will tell you that there are two areas where people always over-report. One is politics. 
People always say that they're more involved politically than what they actually are because there's just something in us as Americans. We kind of we know it's our our civic duty to to vote. And we know that uh, throughout the years that a lot of people have sacrificed their lives so that you and I could have the freedom to do things like vote and to choose our leaders and to choose the people that are going to be in charge. And so there's just kind of something in us that we want to think we're more involved than we actually are. The other area is is religion and faith practices that people always overreport how often they go to church, how often they engage in spiritual activities, because there's something in us as Christians that that we know we ought to do it. And so we like to tell ourselves that we're better at it than what we think we are. And so we may look at that and we may say, well, one third. But but in reality, that number is probably even lower than that. See, we have at our disposal access to God's word. We have access to God's word in ways that have never been possible throughout history. We have access to God's word in ways that millions of people, tens of millions of Christians throughout the world can't even begin to fathom places where there's uh, an entire community and one Bible. And we have Bibles stacked up on our shelves and we have phones and tablets and the Internet. And we have all this access to God's word. And yet, for whatever reason, many of us just don't engage with it. Sometimes because of what we talked about last week. Because we're so hurried, our schedules are so busy, they're so packed in. And, you know, just to be honest, sometimes reading the Bible just doesn't seem all that productive. It doesn't seem all that uh, important in our day. We've got our other list of to-dos. Or maybe the Bible itself becomes a to-do. It just becomes one of the things on our checklist that we feel like we have to do each day. And we read it out of a sense of obligation. We read it because there's something in our minds that thinks, you know, I ought to read this. And maybe if I do really good at it, and we don't consciously think this, but we subconsciously think this. Maybe if I if I read my Bible a lot, maybe that'll kind of, you know, earn me some favor with God. Maybe that'll kind of put me in God's uh, or put God in in my debt. Maybe I can kind of cash in on that. So when that job comes along, when that relationship starts to fall apart, when that uh, business deal needs to close, that we can kind of, you know, throw up a prayer and and we kind of think to ourselves again, we do this subconsciously. We don't do it consciously. We think, well, God, maybe you'll come through for me because, you know, I've, I've been spending some time reading, reading the Bible or maybe. Uh, a reason that you don't engage with the Bible is that you tried and it didn't make sense to you. You became a Christian uh, a while back and somebody handed you a Bible and said, here, you need to read this. And you said, why? And they said, because that's what you do when you're a Christian. You read your Bible. And so you said, OK, and you know, okay, it looks like a book. OK, so usually you start a book at the beginning and no one explained to you that that the Bible, even though it's bound like a book and even though it it has a theme that runs through it, the theme of God's love and redemption for this world, even though there's a, a consistent themes that run through it, there's really 66 manuscripts bound together in this book. And sometimes it doesn't always make sense to start at the beginning. So you started in Genesis and, and that was cool for a while. There was kind of some weird stuff. And then you got into Exodus and there was the plagues and, and you're, oh, I know this because you've seen Charlton Heston, the Ten Commandments. And, and so that kind of made sense. And there was the Red Sea. And then, but then you got to the end of Exodus and there was, you know, the, the priestly garments and the tabernacle and what's the tabernacle. And then you got to Leviticus and it was like, whoa, there's like animals dying everywhere, blood all over the place. 
here's a good thing PETA was not around back then. And, you know, you're just you're kind of wigging out and there's skin diseases and clean and unclean animals. And, and by the time you got to the first genealogy in numbers, you were like, that's it. I'm done. I'll go to church, God. I'll listen to worship music. I might even listen to some sermon podcasts, but reading the Bible, uh uh-uh, no. I can't do it. It's too complicated. Or maybe, and this is what tends to happen the longer you're a Christian, maybe for you, engaging with Scripture is, is built entirely around the idea of information. That somewhere along the lines... And really, this is kind of something that's happened in in the church. I can't speak for the world, but definitely here in America. Somewhere along the lines, we got this idea that the more we know about the Bible, the more spiritually mature we are. And so we just begin to read our Bibles simply for information. And we love to pick apart the difficult passages. And we love to compare Paul and James. And what do you think Paul meant when he said that we're, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone? Is that really what he meant? Because look at James. James says that we're, we're justified, that same word that Paul uses. And so we're going back and forth and, and we're getting into all these details and we you know, look at no. Numbers in Revelation, and we try to imagine what the end of the world is going to be like, and we have all this speculation out there, and oh no, it's a blood moon, is the end coming? And, and we get all concerned about information. And we completely miss the fact that the Bible was not written merely for our information. The Bible was written primarily for our transformation. That we might, as a result of knowing what it says, then know how to live and actually live that way. And we'll talk about that a little bit more tonight as we go on. See, the reason it's so important that we talk about this is that if you and I want to take Jesus' yoke upon us, to learn from him, to have him be our rabbi, our teacher, and to learn from him and the what he taught and the way he lived, then we need to become people who reflect on Scripture. Because it's in the pages of Scripture that we find what is one of the most important things that we could ever find. The teachings of Jesus. It's in the pages of Scripture that we have the opportunity to sit at his feet and learn from him. And according to Jesus, that is one of, if not the best decisions that we could ever make. And we see this in Luke chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. Luke chapter 10, or you can uh, go there on one of your uh, Bible apps. Luke was a first century doctor. He did a careful investigation into the life and teachings of Jesus and and everything that surrounded Jesus' life. He talked to people, he interviewed people, and he put together an orderly account. And the encounter that we're going to look at tonight is one that he tells us. Jesus, he comes to the home of two women, Martha and Mary. And so we're going to pick up this story in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, 
Don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now, this is why I love the Bible. And this is why I believe that what we read in it is true. Because we don't read about a bunch of heroes. We don't read about a bunch of of, uh, mythical people who get it all right. We read about ordinary people and ordinary circumstances. Things like petty sibling rivalry. That's what this is. This is just sibling rivalry. The sisters come in and telling on her other sister. Okay, I'm, I'm the father of two daughters. I'm not really looking forward to the day when I have to police these, these disputes and these squabbles. But that's basically what uh, Martha is asking Jesus to do. She's coming here and she's saying, Lord, Mary's not helping me. Make her help me. And look at what Jesus does in response. Verse 41. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Mary has chosen what is better. Yeah, sure, you're running around, you're getting everything ready, and that's great. But Mary has chosen something better. Mary has chosen to sit at my feet and to learn from me and to be a disciple of mine and to begin not by running around and doing everything, but by reflecting on what I say. See, it's easy for us to be to be critical of Martha because Jesus is is a little bit critical of Martha here and we don't want to get on Jesus bad side. So it's easy to point to Martha and be like, how could she do that? I mean, here's this incredible rabbi, this incredible teacher, uh, this man who by all accounts appears like he might be the long-awaited Messiah. Here he is in her home. She has a private audience with him. The crowds have been following Jesus around. Jesus has had the crowds pressing in around him. Getting this kind of face time with Jesus is difficult. And Martha is missing out on her opportunity to do that because she's so busy and concerned about all the other things that she has to do to get ready. But the reality is that Martha is doing what you did in that culture when someone important came into your home. See, the norm, the normal thing you did was get ready. You got everything prepared. You got everything ready to show honor to that person. But Jesus is kind of saying here, you know, what's been normal in the past is no longer normal now. A new time has come. A new opportunity has come. And see, we want, to, we want to look at Martha and we want to say, oh, I can't believe she'd do that. But the reality is that you and I would do the same thing. If you found out that, think of the famous person that you most want to meet. And if you got a text message right now saying that person was landing at the airport at 7 o'clock and they were going to be at your house at 8 o'clock, you would get right up out of your seat and you would go out the back door. And I would be left here going, why are they leaving? Right? Because this is like the least offensive sermon ever, right? We're not talking about hell. We're not talking about sex. We're not talking about any of the things that anybody gets upset about. Things that, that seem controversial. or We're not even talking about sin, really. We're just, we're just talking about Jesus. And they got up. You know, I'd be up here trying to figure it out. Because the truth about you and the truth about me is this. We are consumed by everything that we think needs to be done. And many of those pursuits are good. Notice that that Jesus, he says to Martha, he doesn't say, Martha, what you're doing is wrong. That's not what he says. He says to her, Martha, Martha. It's a tender address. 
He's lovingly saying to her, Martha, Martha, you're so distracted. Martha, those, those are okay things. But something better is now available. Something better is now at hand. You have the opportunity to sit and learn from me, to be my disciple, to reflect on my words. And as a result of that reflection, to have it begin to change your life. See, we want to jump ahead. We want to do what Martha did. We want to go straight to action because it feels more productive. We want to get things done. And so we're like, okay, help the poor. Boom. And we're out the door. We're doing it. And it's a good thing. Okay, love my neighbor. How can I love my neighbor? I know. I'll take him a meal. Great. Out the door. We love our neighbor. And we're going around and we're doing all these actions. And they're good, right actions. But what Jesus is pointing to here is a reality. And you see this all throughout Scripture. It's a reality for how we we are to engage with and reflect on Scripture. And that uh, is this. That... The way you and I engage biblically with Scripture is reflection with action. Reflection with action. Reflection with action. Reflection, then comes action. Reflection, action. Reflection, action. It starts with reflection and it always ends with action. If you take either of those out, you've missed the point. They're two sides of the same coin. If you have reflection and no action as a result of reflecting on Scripture, then you've got nothing but information. And if you have action with no reflection, then you very well could be acting in the wrong way. Because our hearts are deceptive, aren't they? Our hearts lead us and tell us that that this is the right way to respond. But unless we spend time reflecting on Scripture, then we won't know what God's heart is. We won't know how specifically God would want us to respond. See, the biblical pattern that you see throughout Scripture for engaging with Scripture is reflection with action. Reflection with action. You see this in in the Old Testament. Moses, he tells the people to remember God's law. Remember God's law so that you can be careful to do it. David, he, he meditates on God's law so that he could put it into practice. James, the brother of Jesus, says don't don't merely hear the word and deceive yourself. How do you deceive yourself? By thinking that hearing is enough. No, don't merely hear the word and deceive yourselves. Actually do what it says. You hear and then you do. You reflect and then you act. Paul says that all of Scripture is is breathed out by God and it's given for our benefit. It's given to instruct us and to train us and to correct us and to to rebuke us when necessary. But it's not just so that we can stop there. It's so that, he says in the next verse, so that we will be equipped for every good work. Reflection with action. That's the pattern you see over and over in Scripture. And that's the pattern you see in the life of Jesus. You look at the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, he he says, you've heard it said, and he quotes the Old Testament law. See, he'd reflected on that. You've heard it said, but I tell you. And he takes the standard that was here and he raises the standard up here. He says, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery. Wow. You've heard it said, don't commit murder. But I tell you, if you get angry with someone, then you've already committed, basically committed murder in your heart. He gets to the heart behind those commands. He had reflected on the scriptures and he lived a life that was in accordance with that reflection. His response towards others 
was to live in such a way that demonstrated that he had spent a significant amount of time reflecting deeply on the Scriptures. So, the question then becomes, how do we begin to do this? Like, how do we put some feet to this and and actually reflect on Scripture? What does that look like? And so we're going to kind of walk through a process here for just a few minutes of, of kind of what that might look like. And there's, I think there's three ways we do this, three ways that we kind of engage with Scripture and reflect on Scripture. And we're going to kind of unpack this. And, and here's what it looks like to engage with Scripture, that we do this uh, prayerfully, thoughtfully, and repeatedly. That we reflect on Scripture prayerfully, thoughtfully, and repeatedly. So, so what that means is, remember we said we're talking about taking a small portion uh, portion of scripture, just a verse or two. So we find a verse or two. Maybe there's something we're struggling with. So for our example, we're going to say that, that you're struggling with anger and kind of you always tend to respond quickly and the situation escalates. You got a kind of a quick temper. And so things kind of seem to get out of hand. And so you're reading your Bible one day and you come across Proverbs chapter 15, verse one. And it says a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And you go, bingo, that's it. That's what I need to reflect on. I need to think about this and allow it to drive itself so deeply into my heart and mind that my actions begin to be influenced by this. And so you just start praying through that verse. Praying, Heavenly Father, would you show me what it would look like to do this in my life? Help me to see as you see in this area. Help me to see why you have designed the world to work this way. Give me your eyes to see. Give me the strength that I need to do this because you know I'm not very good at it. You know I'm going to struggle with this. You know tomorrow I'm going to go to work and there's going to be that moment where there's going to be some conflict and you're just praying through the verse. And as you're praying through the verse, then you begin thinking through the verse. You begin engaging with it thoughtfully. This is the idea of biblical meditation. And when we think of meditation, we kind of, we think of the Eastern religions, clear your mind, center yourself. That is not what biblical meditation is. In fact, none of those ideas are biblical or found in the Bible. What biblical meditation is, is the opposite. Biblical meditation means that we're actually filling our minds with the truth of God's word. We're filling our minds with a specific verse or a specific truth that we want to grab onto and hold onto. So in this example, we're, we're grabbing onto this idea that a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And we're thinking through how that plays out in our lives. We're thinking through what are those things that rise up within me, that spill over, that come out, that cause me to respond uh, in an angry way, that cause me to respond in a way where things kind of escalate and go to another level. We're thinking through, okay, there was that time I came home and and my roommate or my spouse, they were tired and and they didn't mean it this way, but I took it there and then things just got worse from there. Or there was that day at work last week where my coworker, they just weren't getting what I was telling them and it was frustrating and I just, I let it get under my skin. I let it go to somewhere where things got worse and now, now it's kind of awkward and we have to work together. We're on the same project. We, we're on the same team. We sit near each other and we begin to thoughtfully engage and write down and think through what does it look like in our lives to gently answer someone? How might it 
calm the situation instead. So we're prayerfully engaging, we're thoughtfully engaging, and then we're repeatedly engaging. And this is the idea of memorization. And for some of you, you hear memorization and you're like, okay, I've been good up until this point. But memorize, uh-uh, no, no, okay? And, and I understand that because, you know, it, there's for memorization for a lot of us, that can go kind of all over the place. And, and maybe, you know, you struggled in school with those classes where you just kind of had to memorize something. I get that. But here's the reality. You and I memorize things all the time. Ten years ago, none of us know how to use a smartphone. Now we can practically do it in our sleep. Some of us are doing it in our sleep. We know phone numbers. We know facts about our friends. We know facts about our family. We know information that helps us do our job quicker. We memorize stuff all the time. And we're not talking here about memorizing lengthy passages of Scripture or entire chapters of Scripture. Although, if you have the motivation and the desire to do it, that can be an incredible tool that God uses to grow your faith, to memorize lengthy passages. But what we're talking about here is simply memorizing one verse or maybe two verses. Because here's what memorization allows you to do. Memorization allows you to take this truth that you've been reflecting on with you into your daily life. See, when things are starting to get heated between you and your coworker, it's probably not a good time to pull out your Bible and go, now, what was that verse again? In Proverbs, like that's probably going to make the situation worse. But if you've memorized it, the Holy Spirit can bring it to mind. And you begin to think in that moment, okay, I feel that anger rising up within me. Gentle answer. Gentle answer, Brandon. So we're engaging and reflecting on Scripture. We're doing it thoughtfully. We're doing it prayerfully. And we're doing it repeatedly. And these are not steps one, two, three. This is a step with three parts. You're doing all of these really at the same time, which is the point to engage with scripture in such a way that it so transforms our mind that it moves into our hearts and it comes out in our actions. That is the point of reflecting on scripture. And the truth is that unless it makes its way out into our actions, then we haven't really reflected on scripture. So this week, we're going to have the opportunity as a community to do this together. On your way out, uh, we're going to have these cards. And there's going to be just one verse that we're going to take this week together as a community. And we're going to practice prayerfully, thoughtfully, and repeatedly reflecting on this verse. And it's Psalm 119.34. It says, Give me understanding so that I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. David uh, was writing, and when he wrote Psalm 119, really Psalm 119, which happens to be the longest chapter in the Bible, is just one long treatise about the importance of doing what we talked about tonight. Reflecting on Scripture, meditating on Scripture, thinking about Scripture, allowing our thoughts to become God's thoughts so that we can do what he says. Keep your law and obey it with all my heart. David, of course, when he's writing, he's writing under the old covenant. He's talking about the law that God had revealed to the nation of Israel through Moses. And of course, you go forward to Jesus and uh, Jesus says, I've not come to abolish the law. I've actually come to fulfill the law. I've come to do everything that you were not capable of. Of doing. I've come to live the life that you couldn't live. I have come to die the death that you deserve to die for your sins. And I will rise again. 
And that same resurrection power that we just celebrated a month ago on Easter lives inside of those of us who are Christians, who've placed our faith and trust in Jesus, in the person of the Holy Spirit, enabling us and empowering us to keep the law. What's the law? Well, Jesus summed up the law this way for his followers. It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, he looked back on the Old Testament laws and he said, everything you had, all 600 plus commands boiled down to this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. There's a vertical aspect and there's a horizontal aspect and the two are related to one another. You can't separate them from one another. If you don't love people, then you can't really love God. And if you don't love God, then you can't really love people. Not the way that God desires for you to love people. And so this week, as we're reflecting on that verse in Psalm, that's what we're asking God to do. We're asking him to give us the strength to obey his law with all our heart. To wholeheartedly love him. And as a result of that wholehearted love for him, to have that overflow into a wholehearted love for others. And if that happens, then then here's a little secret I'm going to let you in on. That thing earlier that you knew, as soon as I said we all had something we want to change, whatever that was, you're going to see that start to change. Because absolutely everything comes down to one of those two things. How we love God and how we love others. Every struggle you have, every sin that keeps pulling you down comes down to how we love God and how we love others. So this week, we're going to reflect on that together as a community. Can we do that? All right. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I confess those times in my life where I take for granted the opportunity to just engage with your word in a meaningful way. Father, would you help us this week as we reflect on this verse together to be people who increase our love for you and increase our love for others as a result of our love for you. Would you stir our affections in that way and would it all be for your glory? And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.